Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to find freedom from the shame and pressure of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode with Lynn Wilder and Joel Grote as they and their guests share personal stories and wisdom from the Bible that just might surprise you. We invite you to experience a grace that heals. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Unveiling Grace podcast. So glad you're with us. I'm Joel Grote. And I'm Lynn Wilder. And this is part three with Chip Thompson. Chip Thompson has a ministry in Utah. He's been there for 30 years, he and his wife, Jamie. And we've been talking about um, how people feel about the Bible and how there's lots of evidence for the Bible and how we need to look at these things with our brains and scientifically and kind of rethink maybe what we were taught about the word of God. All right. Welcome back, Chip. So you've been sharing, I mean, you've done multiple trips to Israel and you've brought back lots of artifacts, all legally um, dated, but you mentioned off air a couple that are really fascinating because these are actually replicas of archaeological finds that um, you're not going to be able to purchase because they're so expensive, and yet archaeologists have ways of making exact replicas. I, I'd like to have you show us and talk about a couple of those because you've got like cylinder. You mentioned a cylinder, right? Yeah. So this this is an exact replica of the Cyrus cylinder. And the reason I can't own the real one is because it's in the British Museum today. And if I had the real one, they would be looking for me. <laughs> Got so, it. Yeah. So the Cyrus cylinder is a, an amazing piece of archaeology because it is the decree of King Cyrus that's talked about in the book of Ezra. Ah. So in the book of Ezra, there was a conflict and uh, there were letters sent to Cyrus or actually sent to Darius. And he looked into the archives and he found the the decree of King Cyrus that allowed them to rebuild their temple and it solved the conflict and actually worked in favor of the Jewish people and allowed them then to rebuild their temple with help from the people who were trying to to hold them back. So that's one of the pieces of archaeology. Another one is this is another replica. This is a replica of a Nebuchadnezzar seal. So this is a Nebuchadnezzar cylinder and his name King Nebuchadnezzar is in the cylinder. And there's, there's a number of artifacts that have King Nebuchadnezzar's name in the, in the cylinder. Um, something else that I think was, to me, was interesting is I have a, a dagger. This is a, an ancient dagger from Persia. Um, it dates back to the time period in the Bible of the judges. Okay, so in the Bible, King Ehud, or not King, um, Judge Ehud, he went to Jericho and he pretended he was going to talk to um Iglon the king of Moab and when he went in to talk to the king of Moab who was a very fat man the bible says he pulled this a dagger just like this it's exactly describes the same kind of a dagger with double-edged dagger pulled it out of his cloak stuck it into Ehud's um I mean into Iglon's stomach and the bible says he was so fat that the his stomach enclosed it and then Ehud (laughs) escaped out the back door and got away and so he killed the the king of Moab that was ruling over, that was, you know, um, oppressing, um, oppressing, oppressing the, the Jewish people. And, and it's just a dagger described just like this one. So kind of interesting. So, so as you have this, you have the Solid Rock Cafe in Ephraim, Utah, you have your Bible museum inside the Solid Rock Cafe with a bunch of these artifacts that people can come see. 
What are the sorts of things that you found really kind of impacted LDS people who come to visit and, and why? What are their presuppositions about the Bible that a lot of these artifacts kind of, they kind of waylay. I mean, they kind of mess with the whole paradigm that the, right. that the LDS person has believed. Well, I'll just give you an example. So because we run a coffee shop, quite often we'll have students from the college come in and they'll say, well, I've never had coffee before. So what would you recommend? <laughs> and these are, you know, these are college age students. And we're like, what? You've never had coffee before? We kind of mess with them a little. And they're like, yeah, well, you know, I used to be LDS, but I'm not anymore. So I'd like to try coffee. And so, oh, yeah, well, here's some suggestions. But then we get into a conversation with them. So I'll say, so you used to be LDS. Oh, yeah, I used to be. You're not now. No, I'm not. Why not? Well, I kind of discovered it wasn't everything I thought it was. And I'll say, so you kind of figured out that they lied to you. And they're like, oh, yeah, they lied to me. So they lied to you about the Book of Mormon. Oh, yeah. They lied to you about Joseph Smith. Oh, yeah, totally lied to me about Joseph Smith. They lied to you about um, the history of the church. Oh, yeah, completely. It's, you know, it's just so mind boggling. And then I like to ask them the question. So have you have you considered that they also lied to you about the Bible? Uh, and that that always kind of takes them back. And they're like, what do you mean? Well, what did they tell you about the Bible? And so an LDS student will almost always say, well, they told us the Bible was true so far as it's translated correctly. Yep. And then I'll then I'll ask them, so did they tell you it was translated correctly? And they'll say, well, no, everybody knows the Bible that was in the hands of corrupt priests that changed it and took out commandments. And, and I'll say, you know what? Everything else you learned about Mormonism, they lied to you about the church, about Joseph Smith, about the Book of Mormon. They also lied to you about the Bible because that what you just described to me is totally not true. And then they're like, what do you wow. mean? And so then I said, well, come into this other room with me. And so from our cafe, <laughs> just one, one room over. And I just explained to them, this is a Bible museum. And so all of these are real ancient artifacts from about 80 different biblical cities or sites that we know where they are. I visit them every year. I go on Israel tours. I've done archaeology in Israel. I've worked with archaeology. I've actually dug into biblical cities. And uh, I'm telling you, the archaeology matches the Bible perfectly. So what they've been telling you about the Bible just isn't true. And then they are like, wow, I've never heard anything like this before. So then we get into this ongoing discussion with them about the trustworthiness of the Bible, about the artifacts that I can show them that prove the Bible stories are real stories, and real yeah. people and real places and real events. And, and they're, they're blown away by that. Yeah. yeah. And so for those of you in our audience that are listening, that you're just joining us for like episode three with Chip Thompson, please go back and listen to episodes one and two because Chip has shown multiple artifacts. He's told some amazing stories of how the Bible's been verified and proved and how archeologists will use the Bible to, to help them as they establish archeology span at Pottery. So we just wanna encourage you to go back, look at those previous two episodes. Um, but Chip, what, so what I'd like to know is, is there any, do you have like a favorite artifact um, that as you're showing these students, some of them who are just considering for the first time that maybe what they thought about the Bible really wasn't true. Do you have like a favorite one or two things that you like to pull out to say, hey, look at look at this piece. Look at this yeah, well, tangible piece. What I, what I really like to do is show them that uh, what the Bible describes, we can actually find in the real story that happened, like like the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The, oh, the Bible yeah, describes absolutely. 
the Bible describes a lot of events that happened during that crucifixion period. Uh, one of them being that Jesus was nailed to a cross. And yeah. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about it, but did they have nails like we think of as nails? And uh, this is a first century Roman nail. So you can get an idea how yes. big that is. Wow. All right. So this, I mean, this yeah, we know. How many inches from, long is that, would you say? So the oh, listener. It's probably 10 inches long. So, so this would be the kind of nail they would nail through the feet that would secure them to the cross with a, with a large head on it. This has a large head on it. And uh, this is a Roman nail from the first century. This, this wasn't used for crucifixion. Um, this was used to build a fort. But we know from history, this is the kind of nail they would have used to nail uh, Jesus to the cross. Um, they had hammers, very similar to the hammers that we have today. This is an ancient hammerhead. Uh, I put the handle on it, but the hammerhead is an ancient Roman hammerhead. So they would have used that to, to nail Jesus to the cross. If you're thinking about the crucifixion story, the Bible says they pierced his side with, or with a spear. This is this is a Roman spear tip. You can see it's a it's a socketed spear tip. It would have been on the end of a of a of a pole. And this is exactly what they would have used, this kind of a spear tip to pierce the side of Jesus. Um, one other, the other interesting things is the, the Bible says they paid Judas 30 pieces of silver. Yeah. And so this is the coin that they're talking about 30 pieces of silver. This would be mm -hmm. one piece of silver. It's a shekel of tire. This is the only coin that the Jewish people would accept as their, uh, their coin for their, to pay their taxes, because this coin didn't have a Roman God on it. Really? So they wouldn't wow. accept they wouldn't accept any coins that had a Roman god on it. But this this image on here, this is the king of Tyre on this side, and this is a falcon, which I guess was his his symbol that he liked to. Let me turn it right side up. His symbol that he liked to use, and so that falcon image was on there, and the Jews would accept that coin. So this was the only coin they would accept. So as they were accepting coins to pay temple tax, the money changers would be changing Roman money for Tyre shekels. So that they could pay their temple tax. With oh, it. yeah. And so, of course, that would have been the only coin that the Jewish religious leaders would have trafficked in and would have had to pay Judas for the betrayal. Right. And so we, we were very certain that that type of a coin is the coin they would have paid Jesus. And here again, I like to go there because Judas. this coin was bought in Bethlehem, very oh, near wow. to the site of Jerusalem. And it actually could be. Not likely, but possible. Could be one of the coins they actually paid Jews. It's from the time, it's from the right time period. Mm. So something else that the Bible tells us is that they that they um, gambled for the garments of Jesus. And these are Roman dice. So these dice really? are from the first first century. The Romans all had a little leather pouch that they would have their dice in, and they could have definitely used dice like this to gamble for the garments of Jesus. What's so, that made out of? They're made out of bronze. Ah. The little bronze dice. So all of the things that the Bible's talking about, they all connect to the real okay. story. So kind of a side thing, but just because I can imagine there's listeners, especially if they're like viewing and being able to see this. And so for those that are listening to audio, know that if you go to our unveilinggracepodcast.com in our show notes, we're going to have all the pictures and images um, that Chip is talking about. So if you're not able to see it on video, um, you're listening to the audio, you can go look at the show notes and see images of these artifacts but i want to say so so how does a person get a pair of bronze roman <laughs> dice chip um, you, you would buy them from an antiquities dealer 
and okay. you would want you would want to make sure that your antiquities dealer was re, uh, reliable that he was reputable okay reputable because it's things. because it's still totally acceptable for tourists to take archaeological Correct. artifacts out of Israel and Jerusalem in that whole area, right? Yeah, Israel is one of the few nations that still has an open antiquities market. So I have friends in, in the old city of Jerusalem that, sent, that sell ancient artifacts that we can buy. I have some in the mail right now that are coming from him. So. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How cool. Okay. All right. So go ahead, Lynn. You said there was a key. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have a key. Tell us about your key. Okay, so this is a Roman key from the first century. And if you can see that, it's kind of a skeleton key, if you can see the skeleton part of it. And so this is a, an ancient key. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but when Jesus um, said to Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, I never really thought about whether or not they actually had keys, that they knew what he was talking about. But... Um, the disciples didn't say, what do you mean by that? What's a key? They, they knew exactly what he was talking about because every ancient city had a gate and every gate had a key, a lock on it, and they had a gatekeeper. So the gatekeeper would have the key to unlock the city gate. Mm -hmm. At night, at night, when the sun set, he would lock the city gate so people couldn't come in and out at night. In the morning, when the sun rose, he would unlock the gate and swing the doors open. And any, anybody that came during the night would be camped outside and then they could come into the city. So when Jesus told Peter he was going to give him the keys to the kingdom of heaven and anything that he locked would be locked, anything he unlocked would be unlocked, mm. um, what he was telling him was, I'm giving you the key that will allow people to enter into heaven. So the question is, what wow. was that key? Yeah. And the, it's, it's really fascinating as you follow the story forward, because in Acts chapter two, who preached the first gospel message? And actually, when Peter said, when Jesus said, that's the key. It was when Peter said, Jesus asked him, he said, who do you, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And people said, you know, had different Peter ideas. Said, yeah. And then, and then Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Yeah. And that's when Jesus said, that's it. That's Peter. the key. Right. That's Christ the key right and there. Christ being the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Mashiach or Messiah. So Messiah. Christos in Greek, Messiah in Hebrew. So Peter is saying, hey, you're it. You're the guy we've all been waiting for. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's it. That's And that's the key that's going to let people into heaven. Mm -hmm. So when did Peter use the key? And the first time he used it was in Acts chapter 2. Mm -hmm. When he preached, he preached the first gospel message. It was at a, an event called Pentecost, if you remember that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he told people that Jesus was the Messiah, that they had killed their Messiah. And people cried out, what should we do? And he told them to believe. Yep. to put their faith in Jesus and then to follow that up with baptism, which um, is always connected in the Bible. You believe in Christ, you receive the, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the spirit happens. And then as a symbol of that, you get baptized in water. And so Peter did that with the Jews in Acts chapter two. But then the next question is, when did the Gentiles receive the keys? You remember when that happened? When did the Gentiles, the first Gentile believers, happen? Oh, oh, it's oh, Peter. And the sheet came down, and the yeah, in Caper. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, by the sea, that city by the sea. Yeah, Caesarea. So, so Peter received a vision. At the same moment that he was receiving this vision, God was revealing Himself to a man named Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion. Right. He sent men to get Peter. They brought him to Caesarea. And it was at Caesarea that Peter preached the first gospel message to the Gentiles and opened the door 
for them to come right. into the kingdom of heaven. So you, if you picture this, it's exactly the picture. And a lot of Christians even picture that Peter's standing at the pearly gates of heaven. Why is Peter <laughs> standing at the pearly gates of heaven? Because he has the key to unlock the gate. So mm. when he preached that gospel message, it was as if he unlocked the gate of heaven and swung the doors open mm. so that people could come in. And that at Pentecost, 3000 people entered into the kingdom of heaven that day. Yep. And then at Cornelius's house, everybody present, all of the Gentiles that were present to hear his message, they all entered in that day as well. Right. And that gate has been swung wide open ever since. Yeah. And what's fascinating is it's the exact same manifestation. So when people receive the message of the apostles, the Holy Spirit is given to them in full measure. Right. Um, they speak in other languages, just like the, the apostles spoke in known tongues, known languages that people were understanding. Right. And then as a result of them obviously receiving the spirit, then they're baptized, made right. part of that's the symbol of inclusion in, into the group. And the same thing happens with Cornelius. Right. When Peter preaches, they accept, they get the spirit, they speak in tongues. And it's like, wow, how can we say no? And right. I found that really fascinating because so when Peter goes back to report, he says, guys, here's what happened. The very same thing that happened to us when we swung open the gates Right. Now just happened to the Gentiles. How can we say no? How can right. we not take the gospel to them? It's a message of grace. It's a message of you repent and believe and put your faith and trust in Christ. That's all you have to do right. to walk through the gates. Yeah. And in the context of where we live and this message where we live, it's it's important to realize that in none of these contexts, not in not in Acts in Matthew 16, where Jesus talk to Peter about the keys, not mm -hmm. in Acts chapter two and not in Acts chapter 10, the priesthood is never mentioned. No. And oh, no. so in the context of where we live, the, the LDS people, they believe the keys are the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthood. But in the context of these stories, that is not a part of the context at all. No. So the, the priesthood is not the keys. The key is the gospel that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And by placing your faith in him, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And That's to bring this message is the reason that you came to Utah 30 years ago. So mm -hmm. I'm curious to hear your experience in Utah and watching God draw people and them transitioning and how things have changed over the years. <laughs> Yeah, that's a big topic. But when we moved to Utah, well, you've got, I'll let you know, you've got like five minutes. So if you can do it in five minutes, it's all we yours, can. Chip. Yeah. When we moved here in 1991, to our knowledge, we were the only traditional Christian believers in our whole valley. Wow. Uh, we, found, we, we found out later that there were two kind of closet Christians, they're older ladies that were believers uh, okay. that joined, joined our Bible study later on. But, um, there were very few believers, very few Christians that lived in our valley. And today, and, and I, I don't say we did anything. We didn't do it. God did it. It's, mm -hmm. it's completely God. And I, I always hesitate when I have to give a report on our ministry. I don't want people to think that this is something that I'm taking credit for. I mm -hmm. don't take credit for this. God, he established. Now we have three churches, um, the Ephraim Church of the Bible, the Gunnison Valley Church, and the Horseshoe Mountain Fellowship Church. Uh, we have a Christian club at Snow College, an university club. We have a Christian coffee shop. We have interns that come. God has exploded Christianity in San Pete County, and there's a solid 
a community of Christians that live here now, which wasn't here when we moved here 30 years ago. So God has done great things. When did you see that? Has it accelerated? And was there a point where people started questioning Mormonism and looked to Christian faith for answers? Yeah, we, we always sensed when we first moved here that God was telling us, not verbally, but in our mind, that things were going to start slow. But the longer we remained here and were faithful, the, the faster things would grow. And that's been the case. It's, it's been slow but steady throughout the years we've been here. But right now, things are accelerated to the max. We are seeing people get saved right and left. Um, things are growing. It's, yeah, it's really amazing to see how God has opened the doors to Utah and uh, the people are responding. So it's really great. As if he's calling a remnant out yeah. of Mormonism oh. to faith in Christ. Absolutely. And so what are you seeing in terms of relationships because at the end of the day we're created for relationships with god with each other and yet so often for all the emphasis that the lds religion puts on like families and closeness we lynn and i experience story after story of ruptured broken relationships lack of authenticity a lack of ability to be transparent so as as lds people come to faith as they come to see grace work in their life what do you see in terms of like relational changes and what they experience within their relationships with each other and with God? It's, it's relaxing a lot. Okay. It's not, it's not nearly as intense as it was when we first started seeing converts and they were abandoned by the whole community. They were abandoned by their families. They were uh, basically shunned um, by everybody that was LDS. And that's not happening at the same level. I mean, there still is pressure, but the pressure has been, uh, much less in recent years than it was in the past. And it's because it's because so many people are learning the truth about the Mormon religion off of the internet. Yeah. So yeah, ministries like yours, Institute for Religious Research, Mormonism Research Ministries, Evidence Ministries, Lighthouse Ministries, Tri-Grace Ministries, all of our website stuff that we're doing, uh, Michael Wilder's ministry. Uh, and ours, yeah. ex-Mormon yeah. Christians. Yeah. Ex-Mormon ex Christian Ministries, all of those are just impacting Mormonism like crazy. And I, I don't think right now, I don't think anybody is impacting Mormonism in a greater way than Micah and Lynn are right now because of their background in the religion. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, Unveiling Grace came out like eight years ago and it has sold more every year it's been out than the year before. Oh. It's obviously God's grassroot movement he <laughs> right. created the story he put it all together he opened the doors for the book then micah's book but like you i want to reiterate what you have said it is god's work it is god's work it is god's yeah. work we are simply vessels once you come to faith in christ you have a ministry and it's his ministry it's right. not your ministry but right. he is working among the mormons and it is blessed oh right. man it's awesome because people are experiencing now a grace that allows healing to happen. It mm. heals their relationship with God the Father. They're not on a treadmill of performance trying to earn his approval. They've got mm. his favor as an adopted child. It changes relationships with people within families where there can be authenticity and transparency because we're all fallen and broken and we all realize that. So nobody has to pretend or act like they've got it all together because we're all so messed up. Um, and there's just so much freedom. <laughs> and healing and and that's what we want to invite not just lds people but anybody who feels like they're in this performance-based religious trap of trying to earn their way man right. step away from that and come experience the amazing grace of god and it's not a faith that 
is a departure from reason. As you, Chip, have brilliantly walked us through in these last three episodes, there is more than enough evidence for the Christian faith, for the reliability, for the reliability of the Bible, for the existence of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's all trustworthy and true, and it's and it's there. And we just want people to step in and experience that. And what folks transitioning need to do is re-examine, not just the things that the internet is telling you to re-examine with Mormon history, but re-examine everything you've been taught as you come upon and open your mind to new ideas and open your mind and your heart to a Jesus that's real, who's personal, who have a relationship with you, who has a plan for your life yeah. and who, who you can be authentic with um, and have a much more peaceful life, regardless of your circumstances. I highly recommend this. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, you know, um, the Mormon church did not invent the Bible. They didn't write the Bible. That It's been in existence way before Mormonism. Jesus Christ is not exclusive to the Mormon religion, even though the church is called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Church of Jesus, the Christian church, has existed for thousands of years. And you need to go back and examine the roots of Jesus, the roots of Jesus Christ and the Bible, because the Bible is God's word. And we have more than enough ample evidence to know that it's absolutely trustworthy. In spite of what you've heard over the years, you can trust it. You should read it. You should believe it. And if you do, it'll change your life. You'll, you'll, meet, the, you'll meet the real Jesus. Yeah. Well, that is a great Ooh. place to close this episode. Amen. Preach it, Jim. Yes. <laughs> All right. Grace and peace to you, friends. Thank Thank you you. so much, Chip, for doing this for us. I hope people look you up, Try Grace Ministries. Yeah, we'll put all sorts of stuff in the show notes for people to do that. So, so long. Very good. Until next time. Okay, God bless. Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. You can find show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We would love to hear how the podcast has helped you. We are so grateful for you, our listeners, and the donations that keep us on the air. To say thank you, we are offering a free gift with a donation of any amount. Just go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free gift button to get yours. Thanks for joining us on the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals.